What's up, folks? Welcome back to another episode of The Water Cooler. For the performance of the day this week, I'm going to have to go with WrestleMania 23. You've got Undertaker, you've got Batista in a fight for the ages. It went over 25 minutes. The two absolute most dominant wrestlers at the time. Actually, the first time I ever caught wrestling on TV was the build-up to that when Undertaker was cutting a promo on Batista, and he said that he was going to take Batista's soul, and it scared the heck out of me when I was six years old. But the match was an absolute barn burner with two behemoths just out there beating the crap out of each other. Couldn't recommend it enough. Go check it out if you've never seen it. One of the best WrestleMania matches of all time. Now, getting into things this week, there's been a lot of talk about the beef that's been going on between Stephen A. Smith and Terrell Owens. Now, a couple years back, it's probably been five or six years at this point, but during all the Colin Kaepernick flag protests in the NFL, T.O. came on to first take with Stephen A. and Max, and they had some debate about you know, all the political, social aspects of the flag protest, I believe. And T.O. made the remark that Max Kellerman, Stephen A.'s co-host, was blacker than he was. And recently on Joe Budden's podcast, Stephen A. was asked about the decision to fire Max. And Stephen A. said that it was because he just didn't like working with them. He didn't think they meshed well and that he felt it was time to move on. But Marcellus Wiley, Max's old co-host on a Los Angeles radio show, disagreed and said that Stephen A. was upset because Max was more intellectual than he was in his debates and took a more nuanced approach on social issues instead of just nodding along and letting Stephen A. have a soliloquy. And Terrell Owens, apparently, he was on the All the Smoke podcast this week to give his side. But fans heard Stephen A's interview and heard what Marcellus said. And they kept retweeting on T.O. in clips of like retweeting the old video of T.O. saying that Max was blacker than Stephen A. And T.O. kept getting those on his timeline. So he reposted the clip of somebody else reposting his video and just said facts. And Stephen A. just went off. He started talking about uh, how T.O. was trifling, how there was something going on about a lawsuit at ESPN, and how Stephen A. had behind-the-scenes dirt on T.O., and how if he wanted to play that game, Stephen A. wanted to smoke and could ruin him. Pretty much. He didn't say it in those exact words, but it got pretty nasty. T.O. kept replying back, and it just ended up having a big social media back and forth to the point where other MCA, other NBA stars had to take to Twitter to tell T.O. and Stephen A. to stop feuding. Kyrie Irving tweeted that can't y'all just talk this out in private, not hash it all out online. 
and a couple of other people said the same thing. I got the tweet put up. Stephen A. said in his tweet about T.O. Now, as for this dude, that's an entirely different story. You know how I feel about your sorry A, T.O., and you know why. You should thank your heavenly father I haven't zeroed in on you with the trifling S you tried to pull. Tell folks at ESPN when your desperate A tried to pull. Keep on talking. Eventually, you'll expose yourself. And Stephen A. followed that tweet up and said, or maybe I'll just dedicate the entire Stephen A. Smith podcast on YouTube this Monday to all the things you tried to do behind the scenes to brothers over the years while claiming someone is more of a brother than others. Let me think about that over the next 24. And T.O. clapped back and said that now Stephen A. asked me if I'm scared. I thank God every day, or I at least try to, but do what you do best. I'm not worried. You don't have to make someone bold, some bold attempt to expose me because I have nothing to hide. You're mad because of the advice my attorney of my attorney after we filed against ESPN because on air without my consent you shared our text conversation. I'm not sure that constitutes as desperate, but that's all. So my boy, hone in on me. I'm good. I'm blessed, and God got me. You're still salty about that interview I did with you and Max a few years back, and I said what I said, and today I'm still hashtag Team Max. Got that man fired. That's messed up. You saw me in Colorado. You should have told me about my sorry A then. So then Kyrie said, y'all call each other like grown mature men and clear the air without all the extra social media back and forth. Get that off your chest and move on. There's more important things to do. Stephen A responded to that and said, respectfully, bro. You don't know the whole story. I have nothing to say to his starry, pathetic, pathetic tale, but that doesn't mean you're wrong. You're right, bro. I'm man enough to admit that. I will stand down. So that's like the most backhanded apology I think I've ever heard, where Stephen A is saying to T.O. that he's pathetic, but that he's going to stand down. That's like me punching somebody in the face and then immediately calling truce. <laughs> so I don't know if that works out in practice, but I've got to say the whole thing is just silly. And Stephen A just seems to be really defensive when people bring up the Matt Kellerman situation just because he knows he's in the wrong. And it's so funny seeing Stephen A and Shannon Sharp all buddying up and Stephen A making Shannon Sharp look like a victim and giving him a platform to tell his story and in a way making Skip Bayless look like a, the villain when Skip's role in his and Shannon's relationship is the exact same role pretty much that Stephen A and Max were in. Now, don't get me wrong. Skip Bayless was out of line for taking those pot shots Shannon Sharp on the air, but Stephen A is just as out of line for taking his pot shots at match towards the end of their tenure together. You could see the tension between them on air. You knew it wasn't going to last much longer. And it's just disingenuous, I think, for Stephen A to act like Shannon 
was taken advantage of by Skip or treated poorly by Skip or what have you when he was doing the same treatment to Max and pretends like it's two totally different situations. So I think Stephen A just comes off as looking a little bit fake. And T.O., you got to respect him for standing up to the slander because I think he is the only one that doesn't look petty in this whole situation. He just seems like a man that was on his Twitter timeline. And maybe he shouldn't have reposted that old clip. But as far as the response to him reposting that, Stephen A just escalated it way bigger than T.O. did by just saying facts. And honestly, Stephen A. shouldn't have brought that up or even really gone that in-depth on Joe Budden's podcast about firing Max. Like, he got the guy fired. His career as – he's still on ESPN. He's doing Max's boxing. Like, he's still employed, but his career will never reach the heights that it was when he was on first take with Stephen A. So to just continue to pile on him when it's been years since y'all broke up, and to talk about how you didn't like him and continue to just badmouth him in the media, like, it's just sad. And hopefully that's the end of it, but I just got to say props to T.O. for standing his ground and that his first take just hasn't been as good since Matt's left. I don't even like Matt's Kellerman that much, but at least it was consistent with who it was going to be on every day debating. Now it's just a rotating cast, and it's hard to get invested in the chemistry, but... What have you, that's the T.O. Stephen A. beef that's been making the rounds on social media this week. I just thought it was interesting to break down. In actual sports news, the Colorado Buffaloes, who had been the Cinderella story of the year, got the brakes beat off of them against Oregon this week. Now, that's one game... I mean, obviously they weren't going to go undefeated or even be the favorites or any type of playoff contention, but it was sad to see it go crashing down like that. Uh, Prime Jr. only had 159 yards, so he just really got a major decrease in yardage, and he had 10 incomplete passes, which I believe is the most. He's thrown this season one touchdown. It just it was rough. I think Oregon won forty two to six. So hopefully Prime can give him a good pep talk and get him out there just because I love what they've been doing all season. And after a tight win last week, you kinda saw it coming because Oregon is way better than Colorado State. But hopefully they can bounce back and still have a fun season. Alabama Almost saw their season ended yesterday, but they managed to come back. And that second half is the first time I would say that they've actually looked like what you would expect Alabama football to be like this entire season. So the first half came to an end, and Alabama had been struggling the entire game to that point. I'm pretty sure they were, yeah, they were down by one at halftime. And it just wasn't looking good. But they came out second half, just had a massive turnaround, 11 points in the third quarter, seven points in the fourth. So they had more points in each of the last two quarters than they had in the first half combined. And couple that with Old Miss kind of chilling after halftime. They had a field goal after the half. That was pretty much it. The final score was 24 to 10. 
Jalen Milrow actually showed up to play. He had a 17 for 21 completion rate, 225 yards thrown, one touchdown and one interception. And Jackson Dart played a heck of a game too. He got more yards, but he also had 15 incompletions. But, I mean, the story of Alabama's season has just been the penalties. They had, according to the announcer in the game, they've had 35 points taken off the board because they scored only to have it retracted because of a penalty. Now, last uh, game against Ole Miss, they had six penalties and they lost 60 yards. And the only reason that wasn't the story of the game is just because Ole Miss had eight and lost 69. And Ole Miss had most of those penalties in the second half. Now, Alabama in the first half was having all the same penalties I feel like they were in the last couple games against Texas, South Florida. That discipline just wasn't there. And Saban, I don't know what he said to him in the locker room, but they really just turned it around. I was glad to see it. Hopefully, they can continue to keep that momentum and be that team that they were in the second half because if they can do that, they might be able to claw their way back into a decent ranking. Right now, they're 12th, so they Ole Miss was 15, Alabama was 13 going into that game. Ole Miss has dropped five points down the rankings. Alabama went up one, so it remains to be seen. If Alabama can continue to play like that, as far as competition goes, I mean, not that it matters. They had a hard time against South Florida for the first part last week. But the rest of their teams to play, they've only got two more ranked matchups. No, they only have one more ranked, two more ranked matchups. They've got number 21, Tennessee, and number 13, LSU. But aside from that, the rest of their games are unranked. Now, Georgia remains number one because they played UAB, and shocker, they absolutely crushed it. They went uh, 49-21. to They beat UAB. I didn't look at the Vegas odds for that game, but I would have loved to have seen it just because I feel like it would have been ridiculously lopsided. I mean, I hope UAB gets paid good for playing teams like Georgia because from a football standpoint, it can't be good for their confidence just to get completely demolished like that. Carson Beck had 338 yards thrown, three touchdowns, 22 of 32 passing. I mean, it's just laughable. The The UAB quarterback was 32 of 51 passing. And all of that just to get 250 yards. So Carson Beck, the Georgia quarterback, threw 10 less passes than Jacob Zeno and got almost 100 more yards. This is crazy. I mean, Georgia, the cakewalk continues. The rest of their season, they've got three more ranked games. They've got uh, Florida, Mississippi, and Tennessee. None of those teams right now are above the top 20. And next week, they've got Auburn. So, we'll see how that goes. I'm not sure. I haven't been keeping up with Auburn too much. I know they lost to Texas A&M this last weekend. So, it's not like they're coming up against Georgia on some type of winning streak or some type of momentum. 
but we'll see how it goes. I mean, Auburn will be the biggest uh, team they've played to this point in the season. Maybe South Carolina, you could argue that, but it'll definitely be one of their biggest challenges yet. I not expect Georgia to roll through Auburn like they're rolling through everybody else. Now, Ohio State almost got upset, but they managed to pull it out in the fourth quarter against Notre Dame, which is a shame because I was really rooting for the upset. Just for curiosity's sake, I mean, I feel like the last five years in college football has pretty much been Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Michigan, and maybe Clemson every now and then in the playoff picture. I suppose LSU, those six teams have pretty much just been trading off what four of them are in the playoffs. So to have Ohio State get upset by the number 11 team, or I guess I don't know what they were yesterday. They're 11 now, Notre Dame is. It just would have added some excitement because at the moment, I believe the top four is Georgia's one, Michigan is two, I think Texas is three, and Ohio State is four. So, I mean, that would be exciting at the very least just to have Texas up in there as some difference to the playoff picture. But we'll just have to see how that turns out for them. I mean, Texas has managed to hang on. It's looking like Longhorns football is going to be back. It's a shame that Cowboy football can't be going hot at the same time because at the moment, as I'm recording this, Dallas is getting whooped up on by the 0-2 Arizona Cardinals. It is 21-13 in the third quarter right now. So maybe they can pull it out, but knowing them Cowboys, probably not. But the biggest news story out of the NFL this week has been Taylor Swift cheering on Travis Kelsey after he's been spitting game at her from afar on his podcast. She had a concert at Arrowhead Stadium not too long ago, and he told her she should uh, come and see what it's like when he sells at Arrowhead. She took him up on it, so she's watching the game with Travis Kelsey's mom. I guess when you're Taylor Swift, Meeting the parent on the first date isn't that big of a deal just because you're so unattainable. People think that you don't have to be nervous about small stuff like that. So more power to her. You couldn't catch me dead meeting the parents on the first date. But we'll see. Maybe there could be more girl drama in the Chiefs locker room. Patrick Mahomes' wife and Taylor Smith could probably have a lot of fun hanging out together. But aside from football, baseball has continued to go into the final stretch. The Braves playing the Nationals tonight. I expect they'll win that. They clinched the NL East not too long ago. I believe they're closing in on if they haven't already clinched the playoffs for the top spot. No, I don't think they've clinched it yet, but they're close. I expect the Braves to clinch this week. And it's just the time of the year where the teams are treading water, just waiting to get to the playoffs. I know it came out 
just a couple hours ago that Charlie Morton's on the 15-day injury list, and he might be out for the NLDS, so that would be a big loss for them if true. But I think the Braves are talented enough to where they can manage one series without him. At the same time, like you never want to lose a pitcher of that caliber just in case you need him. But MLB playoffs start this week. And it should be exciting. I've still got the Braves to be the favorites going into it, Charlie Morton or not. And it says uh, he'll miss the entire NLDS, but like I said, they'll be fine. They got Spencer Strider. They've got Max Reed. They've got a good uh, crew going. And it's looking like nobody's clinched yet. I'm on MLB.com trying to find what the uh, playoff bracket is. But they haven't put it up yet. I guess they're still waiting. Okay, here it is. At the moment, it is... The Braves will be playing either the Phillies or the hold up. They'll be playing the Phillies or the Diamondbacks. And the winner of the Phillies and Diamondbacks will play the Braves. And the Dodgers will play the winner of the Brewers and the Cubs. So my National League playoff prediction is that the Phillies will beat the Diamondbacks, the Braves will beat Phillies, and the Brewers will beat the Cubs, and the Dodgers will beat the Brewers, and the Braves will beat the Dodgers and the NLCS. So we'll see how accurate that goes in. But I don't know. It does my heart good to see the Phillies and the Braves play in the playoffs just because growing up those were the top rivals to the Braves. I know 90s people say it was the Mets, but in the 2000s it was definitely the Phillies. And I just have a special, special disdain for that team. And I hope the Braves get the satisfaction of sending them home this offseason. Meanwhile in the American League, it's the Orioles versus the winner of the Rays and the Blue Jays. So I'm actually going to take the Blue Jays over the Rays. I know the Rays started off hot, but They've definitely cooled off a lot since the season's continued on. And I just – I see the Blue Jays coming out on top. And then when it comes to the Twins and the Astros, the winner of that will play the Rangers. I'll take the Twins. I think the Astros have had a lot of long playoff runs the last few years in addition to all the uh, cheating scandals that have caused them a lot of sleepless nights. So it's just they're at the point in – Every, I don't want to call them a dynasty, but every long-term successful team gets worn out eventually. I think this is it. This will be a filler season for the Astros, and they'll regroup next year. But this year, I see them getting put out by the Twins. And I've got the Twins beating the Rangers in the American League, playing the Orioles. And I see the Orioles going on to play the Braves in the World Series. I think that's the most exciting series that we can hope for. I think an MLB playoff that has the Braves play the Dodgers and the Orioles 
anything could happen. My bet's on the Bravos. We'll see how it plays out, but I'm excited for it. I can't wait to have the action start on October 3rd. Meanwhile, in the NBA, Damian Lillard has still not been traded as the season draws closer and closer to the start. And I really hope that they can get something figured out just because I'm sick and tired of the NBA just having the cloud of an impending trade hovering over a team for the foreseeable future. When the season starts, it's like, look, let's get this trade over with. Let's see where the landscape is when the season starts, and let's just know what we've got going into it because between Russell Westbrook and the Lakers last year or Kevin Durant and the Nets, it just takes up the whole season with just irrelevant backstage, behind-the-scenes bickering. And based on all the stuff that's going on with Damian Lillard, you got the Clippers involved, the Bulls, the Raptors, the Heat. Like, There's a Damian Lillard sweepstakes going on. And I don't even know if he should be traded. He's still got like three years left. He just signed a new contract last year. So it's not like he can hold the team hostage and threaten that he's going to walk in free agency next year. He's still got five or four or five years left on his deal. So for the Trailblazers to cave in and trade him when he contractually agreed to play with them for at least four or five more seasons last year, it just sets a bad precedent that players can just throw their weight around and get whatever they want from these franchises and that contracts are pretty much meaningless. I think whenever the NBA meets to renegotiate the collective bargaining agreement, there's going to be a major, major confrontation between the players and the owners over this kind of shenanigans. And I get the logic that, you know, if somebody doesn't want to be in your locker room, then you don't want him to be there causing trouble or sowing discord or, you know, just giving you headaches. You don't want that in your locker room, and I get it. It's easier to just trade him, move on, and have a clean slate. But I just think whenever players are under the impression that no matter how much time is left on their deal, they can just request a trade and threaten to sit out at the season and just have their way, it really stops the players from having to fight and reach their true potential. Because think about if, I don't know, MJ had decided that he was sick and tired of getting bounced in the first round when he was getting beat by the Pistons, and he decided to leave in 1990 to go sign with the Celtics or the Lakers or whoever, even the Suns. Or I can't remember when Charles Barkley got traded, but say he wanted to go join up with Charles Barkley. Like, think about how much differently that would affect Jordan's legacy. We He would have never gone on to be the undisputed, like, great player that he is viewed as today because as much as he would still have the stats 
and that like trophies, you just wouldn't look at them and see that gritty will to win intangible quality that MJ exemplifies. Same thing with Kobe. Like it was so much to the benefit of his legacy in 2007 when Jerry Buss refused to trade him to the Bulls and made him stay a Laker. Like, imagine if Kobe never got those two rings on his own in L.A., how much differently he would be viewed. I mean, maybe he would have got a ring with the Bulls, but I don't think it would have been viewed anywhere near significant to his legacy than him getting those rings in L.A. as his own man. And it's just sad to see players continually sell themselves short. Like Kevin Durant. And I will always go back to this. He had the Warriors up 3-1 to one in 2016 when they choked. And you can blame as much of it as you want on Russell Westbrook, but however much blame Westbrook gets, KD is owed an equal amount, if not more, of that blame just because he was the best player on the team. And he sold himself short by leaving a free agency instead of trying it one more time. And even with the Nets, uh, once again, the thing going got tough and KD got going. That's just been the defining factor of his career. And the more the owners continue to give in to these silly trade demands, the more that type of mindset is going to get reinforced. So, I mean, I feel for Dame Lillard. Dame Lillard is a hard person to make a poster child for that type of negative view because Dame Lillard has put his heart and soul into the Portland Trailblazers organization. And if any player has earned the right to go to another city to win, it's Dame Lillard. But he should have done that last year instead of re-signing just to get the match contract and then throw your weight around and request a trade. Like If he wanted to leave, he had that opportunity last year, and he could have done it, and nobody would have batted an eyelash, but he decided to stay, and he got more money for staying, and now he wants to have his cake and eat it too. And I just, if I'm the Trailblazers, I wouldn't have given to it because I just don't think that's, that's a good precedent. But we'll see what ends up happening. At the moment, it doesn't look like they're anywhere closer to trading him than they were at the beginning of the summer when he demanded this trade. So, I mean, it's just crazy to see how the NBA can be a lot more exciting when backstage than it is on the court sometimes. Now, going into the season, and the season starts a month from today, This has got to be one of the most wide-open NBA seasons I think that we have ever seen because I can't think of who the undisputed clear-cut favorites are. I mean, I guess it would be the Nuggets just because they won last year, but, I mean, there's no guarantee they win again. I mean, I think they're the favorites, but I could easily see them getting put out. I think the top four are the Bucks, the Heat, the Celtics, and the Nuggets. So 
based on that, I guess the Nuggets are pretty. Actually, I okay. You've got the Suns with KD. I'll throw them in as a fifth slot, just to see how it goes. I mean, we haven't really seen them have a whole off season to gel. KD got traded like midway through the season out for the trade deadline, so maybe there will be a big difference in their chemistry now that they've had a lot of time to work on it and they can come back and you improve team. I think that we'll be able to tell by the first two or three months if they're legit contenders or not. And KD, this is probably the last, I would say he's got two more years of prime basketball left in him where he can win a championship and be the guy on the team. So we'll see if he makes the most of it. Now I'm interested to see how Chris Paul on the Warriors plays out. He is in the twilight of his career. And it's just kind of hard to see one of the best players coming off the bench, the best players from like the last 15 years coming off the bench, but he's just at that point, Father Time's knocking on his door. And I do respect that he's willing to sacrifice his ego to have a chance to compete for championships. So we'll see if it pays off for him. And you can never count out the Warriors either. I don't think they're the favorites, but you never know. I mean, Steph Curry and them have that championship pedigree which counts a lot in championship races. But, I don't know, I hope the Bucks win just because I like Giannis. And I, after those threats he was given the Bucks a couple weeks back, they better win sooner. He might be the next superstar to throw his weight around and threaten to leave. Now, shifting back to the NFL for a second, Aaron Rodgers has said that he's making progress in his rehab and that he's going to put himself in a position to be able to play again. So it seems like he's ruled out retirement and the Jets don't seem like they're going to trade him. So we'll have to see how it works out. I, I get him not wanting to have his career end on that note, but we'll just see what he's like when he comes back. Apparently, he had a new innovative surgery, which might speed up his rehab, so we'll just have to see. They lost the Cowboys last week. The Jets did. Zach Wilson struggled. They got beat by the Patriots today, so I doubt they'll make the playoffs. A-Rod just needs to rest up, get ready for next year. It's a shame, but you got to play the hand you're dealt. Now, WWE had their big merger with UFC the other day last week and whenever big murders like that happen you just have to know 
that big talent and employee cuts are coming because they have to eliminate redundancy and all that. And a lot of backstage, behind-the-scenes workers got cut. But there was also more than 20 on-screen talents who were cut. The most notable of which, for me, is Dolph Ziggler, who has been in WWE since 2007. And he was just one of those guys that you just always thought would be there. I mean, him... The Miz and Kofi Kingston have just been staples of the WWE mid-card for the last 15 years, really. And he's a two-time world champ, a Money in the Bank winner. I don't even know how many times he was Intercontinental Champion. Seems like he was winning that belt like every couple months back in the day. But... I mean, I can't be that upset for him just because he had one of the best mid-card runs in company history. Let's see, he was a six-time Continental Champion, a two-time United States Champion, a four-time Tag Team Champion, and a Triple Crown Champion. Now, when he won the Money in the Bank contract, and cashed in on Alberto Del Rio back in the day. That was probably one of the best crowd reactions, I think, had been on WWE history in a long time at that point. And, and you hate to see him go. He had a good run. I hope he goes to AEW just because he has been languishing in WWE for honestly the last 10 years, really. I mean, I take that back. He had some good runs in 2016, but and he was NXT champion earlier this year. But, I mean, NFL or NXT is just really a minor league. I mean, they talk, it's developmental. So, I just really hope that he has a chance to go reinvent himself. And that he can go to AEW, Impact, something, and just go all out and show WWE what they're missing out on. Because there was probably two different times where they could have made Dolph Ziggler a main event talent, and they did. And that was in 2012 when he cashed in on Alberto Del Rio, or maybe it was 2013, and 2014, 2015-ish. Whenever he was going up against the authority. And he had the big match against them at Survivor Series. And he ended up winning single-handedly with the help from Sting. And the crowd just went nuts for him. They ate it up. Like he was over. He was over like Rover for that period of time. And it's a shame that they didn't do more with him. So hopefully he can have a career resurgence somewhere else. But he was really the only major name that got let go. Matt Riddle did too, but he he got let go because of other reasons. And they just decided to lump him in with 
the budget cuts just to save themselves a bad press because he's just been causing them a lot of headaches in the media. So I get why they let him go. But best of luck to Dolph Ziggler in his future endeavors. Now, to finish this up, this weekend upcoming is Canelo versus Charlo. And it's going to be a big fight. It's on at 8 o'clock Eastern Time on Saturday. And my money's still on Canelo. I hope Charlo can make it competitive, though, just because Canelo is a star. Charlo is not. And if he can go in there and put on a good showing, it might be the biggest thing that could happen for his career. Yeah, at the moment, Canelo's a minus 420 favorite. And I don't know any of the other fighters on the undercard. But we'll have to see how it shakes up. I'm predicting Canelo by decision. I think it'd be a split decision. I mean, you know how boxing is. I always hope there's a knockout, but I doubt it. I just think that they're both pretty evenly matched as far as attributes go. Canelo's a little bit smaller, a little bit shorter, less reach. So I don't know if he can knock Charlo out. But I do think that It'll be a good fight. I'm excited to see how it shapes out. So that's all I've got for y'all this week. I'll catch y'all next time.